Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Lord, I thank you so much again for the time that we have and the freedom that we have where we can come here to learn about you, to worship you. Father, as we dig into your word this morning, draw us near to you. As we read through this letter that uh, Paul wrote, Lord, speak to us. Speak to our minds. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Let it come out in our actions and what we do. Father, I pray that you will speak through me this morning, that you will uh, let me step aside so that you can shine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series, um, and we are, here we go, we are in the book of Colossians, uh, and this is The Sufficiency of Christ. And this is Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, and our subtitle is The Sufficiency of Christ, because Paul talks about that in this letter, he says that Jesus is enough. And we have to be reminded a lot that Jesus is all we need. Uh, and so we're going through this book um, just verse by verse. We're going to take our time going through it, but not too much time. Uh, this morning we're in um, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. So it is a, a slightly larger chunk than last week where we only had two verses. Uh, it's verses 3 through 13 this week, and this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Now in Sunday school, several of us have commented that prayer might not be our strongest spiritual discipline. Um, so the spiritual disciplines are things that we do that help us to grow in faith. These are things like reading and applying the Bible to our lives. Things like prayer and witnessing and fasting. These are different things that we do that help us to grow in our spiritual maturity. Now they're called disciplines because they're not always something that come easy for us and we have to work at them and train our bodies and train our minds and train our hearts to want to do these things. So this morning, it's all about prayer. This is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And what we see in this prayer is a good model for prayer. And this prayer is basically broken into three portions, and that's thanksgiving, supplication, and adoration. Again, those three portions or those three sections this prayer is broken into is thanksgiving, supplication, and adoration. Now, I know I'm going to refer to this as Paul's prayer a lot, um, but I want to give this note at the beginning. This is not an actual prayer that Paul is praying, but rather he's talking through the prayer points that he has when he prays for this church. So it's not like he scripted out a prayer, but he prays for them regularly, and he's listing these things that he prays for them. So we'll start um, getting right into the text, and we're going to start reading in verse 3. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, this we is uh, Paul and Timothy. We talked about that last week. Um, he says, when we pray for you, starting in verse 4, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth. The gospel has come to you. Or sorry, the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love and the Spirit. So a quick side note here, talking about Epaphras. Um, Epaphras is the person who we think probably planted this church there in Colossae. Uh, I said last week that Paul didn't plant the church at Colossae, and we have no evidence of Paul ever actually making it there. Uh, so this is one of the churches that we have evidence of that Paul did not plant in the New Testament era. But Epaphras did, and Epaphras worked with Paul, and he came back from Colossae to report to Paul what was going on there. Um, but Paul says, first thing he says, we always thank God. Well, what does it mean to thank somebody or to give thanks. What does it mean to give thanks? And that means to express gratitude or to show appreciation. 
Now, this can only be done. We can only truly give thanks from a place of humility because we have to recognize that this is somebody else who has done something good for us. It's not through our own work or through our own efforts that this has happened. So thanksgiving can only come from a place of humility. We have to set our pride to the side or swallow our pride or whatever analogy you want there. We have to uh, put somebody else and thank somebody else and put our, our pride to the side. So when we fail to give thanks, when we forget to give thanks to other people or, or we just are not in the habit of thanksgiving, this may be evidence that we have an idolatry problem. If we fail to give thanks to others, that may, be, that may be evidence that we are idolizing ourselves. That pride has gone too far in ourselves. Pride in yourself is not a good thing anyway, but that pride has taken over and you are idolizing yourself when you fail to give thanks to others. Um, so who is Paul thanking in this passage? Is he thanking Epaphras or is he thanking the church at Colossae or is he thanking somebody else? Well, he's thanking God. It says, we always thank God, the Father. Um, this seems obvious, but when we pray, we need to offer our thanks to God because he is the ultimate provider. He is our ultimate source of all that is good. The other good things, or th good things might come through other people, but ultimately they, they are, they're coming from God through that person. But what is he thanking God for? It says we thank God, but what for? Here is where um, our prayers might be a little bit different from Paul's, but I think what Paul lists is a good starting point. So he's thanking them for faith, hope, and love. Or faith, and this is uh, actually a sl slightly different order than what we usually see this. This is faith, love, and hope. These three things come in together quite frequently, this faith, hope, and love. Uh, he's thanking God that the Colossians are showing God's character. God's character comes out in faith, hope, and love in people. When we, when we see others growing in their faith, we should thank God for that. When we see other people becoming more spiritually mature or growing in their disciple-making um, responsibilities, we should thank God for that. They're becoming more like God. When we see ourselves growing in faith, we should thank God. Again, when I see myself becoming more mature as a disciple, when I see myself dis uh, displaying God's character more to those around me, I shouldn't say, oh yes, I am so great. Again, there's the, the idol of me coming back through. But I thank God that he can work through me to show himself to others. When I see God working through somebody else, I don't say, oh, uh, uh, thank you, John, for, well, I mean, we do want to thank each other, but ultimately we need to give those thanks to God for working through other people and for growing them closer to God. Yes, thank people, but ultimately those things need to go to God. Also, he's thanking God for gospel growth. So what is the gospel? First, we have to ask, what is the gospel? He's thanking God for gospel growth. We have to understand what the gospel is. See, a lot of people want to think that the gospel is just those, those four books at the beginning of the New Testament. That's the gospel. Well, no, the gospel is the whole story of God, is that God created this world. He created the whole universe. He created everything to reflect his glory. He created us to be in perfect relationship with him. He created us to be in perfect relationship with each other and for us to be in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. Why? Because God, when we read throughout all eternity, God was in perfect relationship with, his, with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he created us to be in perfect relationship to reflect his glory and to worship and glorify him. But we look around and we see it's not like that anymore. That's because of sin. 
Sin is any time that we fail to follow God's will in our life. It could be sins of commission. That's where we're doing things we're not supposed to do. Sins of omission. That's where you're not doing things that you are supposed to do. Or sins of cognition. That's having sinful thoughts like uh, lust and envy. Now that leads us to a place of brokenness. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve were, were, uh, were kicked out of the garden and there was a, uh, an angel there with a flaming sword guarding the gate to the garden. Their relationship with God was broken. We also see that God slaughtered an animal to cover their nakedness with skins. So that brokenness is evident in that sin always requires a shed of blood to cover for that sin. Now we try to fix this brokenness in our lives in several different ways. Sometimes it's digging deeper into work or, or trying to fix the relationships in our families or, or lots of good things we try to do to fix this brokenness. But ultimately, we can't fix that brokenness on our own. Some people realize that. So instead of trying to fix that brokenness, they dive into drugs or alcohol to try to hide the pain of that brokenness or to try to run away from that brokenness. Unfortunately, all of that only leads back to more brokenness. Even those good things that we do to try to fix our brokenness, that's still going to lead back to more brokenness because of our sin, because of our sin nature. But Jesus came and he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, to reconcile our life with our creator, to reconcile, uh, to make up for the, or to, to pay the penalty for our sins. And when we believe in him, when we repent from our sins, then we can recover and pursue God's design in our life. But it all centers on Jesus and his work and his life and his ministry and his sacrifice and his resurrection. That's the gospel. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we call out to him for salvation, then we are saved. That's the gospel. It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's all the way from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. That's the gospel. So Paul is letting the church at Colossae know that the gospel is spreading around the world. Paul thanks God for that gospel growth because he knows that God is the one behind this gospel growth. Again, Paul could have looked at this and said, you know, I've, I've made three different journeys around uh, the Roman Empire, planting churches as I go and training other people there, and they've gone and they've planted churches. See, we look at Epaphras, and Epaphras probably was with Paul in Ephesus. When Paul was in Ephesus there for about three years towards the end of his uh, second missionary journey, Epaphras was probably there with Paul and left from Ephesus to Colossae and Laodicea to plant churches there. So Paul could have looked at this and said, see, Epaphras there, I trained him. And so I'm responsible for this gospel growth. And all these churches around the, the Roman Empire, I'm responsible for all that gospel growth. But Paul, doesn't, he doesn't take that stance because he knows that it's not his work that has done this. He knows that it is God's work that is growing the kingdom, that it's God's work that is growing, the, uh, the gospel, that's causing this gospel growth for new converts, people who were lost and are now saved. Paul is thanking God for that. Uh, and then when we pray and thank God for that gospel growth, this is another way for us to, uh, it, it's very easy sometimes to see other churches as competition. It's very easy for us to see other churches as they're taking uh, people who could be at our church. It's very easy for us to see them as competition. But when we thank God for the gospel growth in other churches, when we see other churches growing and other churches impacting the lostness around them, when we thank God for that, that curbs that tendency in our heart. It, it puts a stop to that competitiveness. Now, we do want to see the gospel grow. We want to see our church reach lost people. But if God chooses to use the church down the street to reach lost people, we should praise God for that too. 
So in summary, expressing thankfulness in prayer puts our heart in the right place by curbing our tendency to idolize ourselves. See, there's plenty for us to pray for, or sorry, there's plenty for us to be thankful for. Paul gives us two examples, and that's the maturity of other disciples and the spread of the gospel. Now getting into our next portion, this, the next section of this prayer, this is the supplication section, starting in verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Paul says he is praying for you, or he's praying for them. So this, these are our prayers of supplication. Now that's kind of a, a big word or a word that we don't use a whole lot. But prayers of supplication is where we're praying for something. We're asking God. These are our prayer requests. We're asking God for something. We're praying for somebody else. These are prayers of supplication. We could think of them as our prayer requests. So Paul makes three prayer requests in this section right here. And that's first that the Colossians will have knowledge of God's will that they will walk worthy of the Lord, and that they will be strengthened. So Paul is asking God that the Colossians will know God's will, that they will walk worthy of the Lord, and that they will be strengthened. Let's look at that first, portion, that first part there. He's praying that the Colossians will have knowledge of God's will, and that is also talking about wisdom and spiritual understanding. But what does this mean? What does this mean? This is uh, when we go deeper into the gospel and we are focusing on Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Knowledge of God's will doesn't happen just by being out on our own. Knowledge of God's will doesn't happen when we are uh, just focusing on ourselves. Growing in the knowledge of God's will happens when we are coming together as a family to worship. Growing in the knowledge of God's will happens when we are digging deeper into the Bible, when we are digging deeper into the gospel. Like I said, God, the gospel isn't just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's everything from Genesis to Revelation. I've heard it explained that a lot of Christians think of the gospel as the diving board to get into the pool. But a better understanding, a right understanding of the gospel, it's not the diving board to get into the pool, but it is the whole pool itself. We learn more about God and we grow in knowledge about God and knowledge about His wisdom by digging deeper into the gospel by swimming around and being fully engulfed in that gospel. And we have a, a great resource that the church at Colossae didn't. They, they didn't have the collection of God's Word. Now, they, they had access to the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have access to the New Testament, whereas we have access to all of God's Word, fully together, bound together into a book, or even access on, on our, whatever our devices might be. We have access to God's Word that the church at Colossae didn't. I've heard a lot of Christians complain that they can't hear God speaking to them. And my question is, how dusty is your Bible? When was the last time that you dug down deep into the Bible and tried to study God's Word and tried to apply it to your life? When we open God's Word, that is God speaking to us. That is His Word for us. That is His Word for people of all time. You want to hear God's voice? Read the Bible. You want to hear Him speak audibly? Read it out loud. Second, he says that he wants them to walk worthy of the Lord. So this knowledge isn't just something that we're storing up in our brain. 
but it's affecting our lives. It affects who we are and what we do. This is why Paul, why Paul says that he's praying that they will walk worthy of the Lord. Then he says something about bearing fruit in every good work. So what kind of fruit is Paul talking about? What kind of fruit should we look for in other disciples? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So when we look for the fruit in other disciples, when we look for people walking worthy of the Lord, we want to look for this fruit of the Spirit. We want to see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in their life. Notice, though, it's not plural. It's not fruits of the Spirit. And I can look at this list and say, okay, well, uh, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, I'm good. But when it comes to patience and, and kindness and gentleness, and eh, maybe I, I need some help with that. I, that's not the right way to look at this because this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's all together as one. As a disciple, we need to be growing in each of those. That fruit needs to be growing in our life. But when he says to walk worthy of the Lord, that, that good work being worthy of the Lord, it kind of sounds like Paul is saying that they can earn good standing with God, that these good works are things that they do to earn that worthiness of the Lord. That's not the case, though, because the gospel is that Jesus gives us his righteousness when we, put our pla- when we place our faith in him. Jesus gives us his righteousness. We can't earn that righteousness. We never could earn that righteousness. If we say that we could do enough good in our lives to earn that righteousness— then we would be accusing God of murder because there would have been no need for Jesus to come and die on the cross if we could earn it ourselves. But since there was no possible way for us to earn that righteousness, sending Jesus to the cross, going and sacrificing himself is an act of mercy. It's an act of love. He gives us his righteousness when we place our faith in him. So then what is this about doing these good works? What's the necessity of doing good works if we can't earn that righteousness, if we cannot earn that right standing with God? We show our salvation. We show our salvation with these good works. We don't earn our salvation with these good works. Our salvation leads to good works. So when we look at another disciple, when we look into our own lives, can we see these good works that are pointing back to God? Can we see these good works that are showing God's power in our life? Not trying to earn God's power or trying to earn God's love, but showing God's love and showing God's power by allowing him to work through us. It is the evidence of our salvation. These good works are the evidence of our salvation. This points to another great prayer request that Paul does not specifically mention here, but praying for others to come to know Christ. Praying for others to come to know Christ. This is what the podcast that we listened to earlier, that's what he was talking about. It's a really good question. If God answered every single one of your prayers tomorrow, how many new believers would there be in the kingdom? When I heard that, I was like, ooh, that kind of hurts a little bit. You know, if God answered every one of your prayers tomorrow, how many new believers would be in the kingdom of God? We need to be praying for people to come to faith. This year, our goal is 400 gospel conversations and 20 professions of faith. That will not happen unless we are praying to see people saved. We need to be praying specifically by name for people who are lost to see them come to salvation. Pray for them to come to salvation. And finally, 
he says, he's praying that they will be strengthened with all power. So again, notice what the source of this power is. Strengthened with all power by their own might. No, that's not what he says. Strengthened by the power of coffee. No, that's not what he says either. It's strengthened by the power of God's glorious might. Of God's glorious might. Not our own power. We have to depend on God. And this leads to great endurance and patience. This is the next thing that Paul is talking about is that great endurance and patience. Well, why would they need endurance and patience? Well, see, religion in the Roman Empire was very syncretistic. They would take all these different religions and kind of throw them together and try to combine them. That's syncretism. They're putting all these different religions together. And when the Roman Empire would go into a new area and conquer a new area, they would just absorb whatever local gods they had there and say, that's fine, you can continue to worship those gods as long as you recognize that Caesar is the greatest god of them all. But see, Christians, when we hear that, that should definitely cause some great concern for us because we know that there are no other gods other than the God of the Bible. We know there are no other gods other than the God of the Bible. When Julius Caesar says that he is God, then that's blasphemy. When we hear of other gods, they are false gods. They are idols. And so when the, the Christians here at Colossae would say that Jesus is the only God, or they would worship only Jesus, or they would fail to recognize Caesar as God, then they would be persecuted for that. So Paul is praying for them to have endurance, to, to, uh, to be able to handle that persecution, and the patience to be able to deal with that persecution. See, these people only needed to acknowledge that Caesar was the greatest of all gods. Then that persecution would stop, and those who did not would be persecuted. See, the Colossians would need to endure through false teachings from that, uh, those different religions around them, from that Roman religion. They would have to endure all those false teachings. We'll talk about that later in this letter. This letter is written specifically to address some of those false teachings. Notice the subtitle of, of this sermon series is The Sufficiency of Christ, that He is enough. None of these other teachings will get us to God because Jesus is enough. None of these other philosophies will point us toward God because Jesus is enough. And when we try to add to Him, we are saying that He wasn't enough. When we try to add to Jesus, we are making ourselves into a little God by saying, you know what, God, what you did was good, but... I need to add a little bit to it. The sufficiency of Christ says that, no, Jesus is enough. He did it all for me. He paid it all for me. And because of that, Paul is praying for them to be able to have the endurance and the patience to deal with this persecution. But notice that he does, what he does not pray. He does not pray that their situation would change. He doesn't pray that the persecution would stop. He doesn't pray that they would go somewhere else where they won't be persecuted. He doesn't pray for their situation to change. He doesn't pray that the struggles would end. He only prays that they will be able to have the endurance and the patience to deal with it and point to God through it, to give God the glory through all of that, to show the people around them their faith in God through that endurance. And finally, we'll close out this prayer with verses 13 and 14. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a prayer of adoration. Now, prayers of adoration often occur by naming properties of God that we can adore Him for. 
we're giving God praises for who he is, whatever characteristics they might be. Or sometimes prayers of adoration. Again, we're praising God for things that he has done. Excuse me. Praising God for things he has done. Well, Paul here lists three things that God has done. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom. And he's uh, praising God for the redemption and forgiveness that we have through Jesus. This is the gospel revisited. Paul comes back to the gospel. Notice in each of these sections, Paul points to the gospel because Jesus is enough. Paul keeps coming back to the gospel. And see, before the gospel, we were in that domain of darkness. And there was no way that we could get ourselves out of it. That's why Jesus was on a rescue mission. He was coming to rescue us from, from being slaves to sin and death. And this is redemption. Because we were in a place where we couldn't fix ourselves. We were in a place where we couldn't, we couldn't buy our way out of enslavement to sin. We couldn't work our way out of it. So Jesus came and he redeemed us from that. That's redemption. We have been redeemed from the domain of darkness, forgiven of our sins, and brought into God's kingdom as his children. From slaves to sin to children of God. In my prayer life, I struggle sometimes to separate prayers of adoration and prayers of thanksgiving. Now, we can be thankful for the things that we are praising God for, but they are two separate things. When we praise God, we're highlighting who He is. And then when we thank God, we are specifically thanking Him for things He has done. Now again, we can praise God for things He has done. And I think it's good for us to try to separate our prayers of adoration and our prayers of thanksgiving. Sometimes they might blend together. That's okay. But I think it's good for us to try to separate them because it's forcing us, forcing our hearts into a a posture of worship. Worshiping God instead of worshiping ourselves. That's why I think it's so hard for me sometimes. I've told you guys several times that my biggest idol that I struggle with is me. I am my biggest idol, and that's the the idol I struggle with. And I think that's why sometimes I struggle to separate these prayers of adoration and prayers of thanksgiving. And that's I try to to keep them separated, but it's, it's hard for me. I think it's a good exercise for us, though, because we're teaching our heart that I am not good enough. I'm teaching my heart that Jesus is sufficient for everything that I need. Let's see. So Paul is giving us prayers of adoration to a God who rescued us from sin. He could be thanking God for rescuing us from our sin, but he thanked God earlier in this prayer, and now he's just adoring God. He's laying these praises up to God for the forgiveness of our sins. So we get to our application points. Again, uh, we want to know how this applies to us as disciples. If you remember, if you remember I uh, have my definition of a, of a disciple that I get from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And I break that into three parts, knowing, being, and doing. The knowing comes where Jesus says, follow me. The being is where Jesus says, I will make. And the doing is the fishing for people. So first, the first thing we need to know is the importance of prayer. Prayer teaches us that we must continue to surrender to God. Prayer teaches us that we can't do it on our own. So a heart that is reluctant to pray is a heart that fails to recognize our need to depend on God. The second application point is being, and that is to be intentional in your prayer life. 
we, like I started this sermon by talking about how often we, in Sunday school, we've talked about how prayer might not be, a lot of us, it might not be our strongest spiritual discipline. Well, we need to be intentional about that. That doesn't get, that doesn't get better on accident. We don't get better at prayer on accident. We don't get better at prayer just by being around other people who are good at prayer. You can only get better at prayer through being intentional about it. And because of that, I've, um, I didn't develop this. Um, I've heard a lot of different pastors talk about this, but I have a model that I follow for my prayer. And three of the, the four points of this model come, are, are right here in this prayer. Um, and I use the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. So ACTS, that's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So in my prayer, in my morning prayers, I try to have those four categories. I start with giving prayers of adoration by praising God for who he, who he is, by praising God for his characteristics, praising God for his qualities, praising God because I am not God. And the second, I move into prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for things he has done for me or thanking God for things he has given me or thanking God for the growth that I see in other people, thanking God for the growth that we can see in other churches. That's prayers of thanksgiving. Um, sorry, I skipped one. I went from A to T. There's a C in there, prayers of confession. And, and honestly, that's the, easy, that's the one that we want to skip because those are where we're confessing our sins to God where we have to look into our own life and to see our sins and to own up to them and say, God, I am sorry for this. I'm confessing this to you. I know it's wrong. And then we can move into prayers of thanksgiving, especially thanking him for forgiveness of sins. And finally, I end my prayers with prayers of supplication. And this is where we are praying for something. These are our prayer requests, where we're bringing requests to God. So again, that, um, the four prayer points, acts. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And our final application point seems obvious, but it's to pray. Pray. Martin Luther said, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. That is what we do as Christians. It is our business to pray. Secondly, Another really great quote that I found, and maybe not quite as eloquent as Martin Luther, but just as good. This is John Laidlaw. He says, the main lesson about prayer life is just this. Do it. Do it. Do it. And I want to close on that. Let us pray. Dear God, Lord, we know that you are gracious. We know that you are loving. And God, we come to worship you. Father, I thank you for all the gifts that you've given to us. I thank you for all the good things that you do for us. Mostly, Lord, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And Father, I ask this morning that you will help us to focus on our prayer life. I ask that you will humble our hearts so that we know that we have to seek you and seek you desperately in prayer. Seek you desperately in your word. Lord, I pray that you will help us to know you more. Help us to be changed by you, Lord, and help us to take your glory and your goodness and share it with those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our time of response, and you can respond right where you're seated. You can come to the front and pray at the cross. You can come and pray with me, but please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com. 
or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.